this morning, where do you find your jokes? Like, private. Private, private stash somewhere. Well, all I can say is keep it rolling. This keeps me laughing, so. All right. Uh, our scripture today is 1 Peter uh, chapter 3, 1 to 7. So if you've got your Bibles, your phones, you could turn there. 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 to 7. I'll read from the NIV. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and the reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way holy women of the past put their hope in God, used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Well, let's just pause for prayer as we begin. Lord Jesus, we come before your feet as our master teacher. And uh, Lord, I pray that as we go through this passage, um, it's often loaded with misunderstanding and uh, misconceptions. And I pray that you'll give us discernment. Uh, Open hearts, Lord. Give us open hearts to your Holy Spirit as you teach us. In your precious name we pray. Amen. So a character trait that Peter's been talking about is the character trait of submission. And so we need to understand that submission is what we do by choice. It's not what people do to you. It's what you decide. It's voluntary. And so Peter said to all believers back in chapter 2, 13, we already went through this, but he said, submit yourselves, talking to all of God's people, to all human authorities for the Lord's sake. Submission, humility, um, maybe a cinnamon close to submission, respect, another good word. These were all the characteristics of Jesus when he faced human authorities. And even though Jesus was God, he took on the nature of a servant, becoming a human, and he humbled himself, even obedient to death. He did this voluntarily for our salvation. Peter then counseled the Christian slaves, and he said to have the same attitude of Jesus. Submit yourselves to your masters in reverent fear of the Lord. So do it because of your true boss, which is Jesus. Not simply to the ones who are 
awesome bosses, but the ones who are kind of cranky bosses. Them too. By being voluntarily submissive and respectful, let's understand that Peter is not asking anyone, God is not asking anyone to be a doormat. Far from it. It is not a loss of dignity or identity. Now, we're fortunate because, you know, we live in a free country. We're free to demand ourselves, defend ourselves. So the culture is different. And hopefully we do this in the spirit of Christ. But our human dignity and our honor, as Peter's been talking about right from the beginning, is all wrapped up in Jesus Christ. Not what other people think of you. Peter says, we are his special possession. That was just one word. He used many other words. Royal priesthood, holy nation, etc. But we are his special possessions. That's our identity. In fact, when we walk in Christ, we actually gain greater confidence within our own spirit. We don't need to be afraid of people because we fear God instead. And so we are motivated to be submissive and humble because of our all of Jesus Christ. We know we are his special possessions and we are called to be God's light in the world through a spirit of submission and humility. So that's kind of the spirit of where Peter is going is we represent Jesus in our world. So with this understanding of submission, Peter now moves to the home, and he addresses both Christian wives and husbands with basically the same message. To the Christian wife, uh, he's actually giving us a very specific situation where the Christian wife who does not have a believing husband. So it must have been rather common, right, to bring that up. And so um, Peter says this, wives in the same way, in the same way he's been talking about submission to every other person, submit yourselves to your own husbands. And then to the husbands, he says, treat your wives with respect. Just as it was for the Christian slave, as we talked about before, the motivation for every Christian, and now for the Christian wife, is to submit, not whether he is a believing husband or a non-believing husband, whether he is good or harsh, but do it out of reverence for Christ. That's their true identity. Now, before we get into the passage further, When we talk about um, marriages, in particular wives in the Greco-Roman culture, um, it's, it's just radically different than what we understand today. So let me try to help you understand what what wives faced back in the first century in the Roman Empire. Peter's message of submission and respect is even more profound when we understand the way in which wives were very often well, women in general, were mistreated in that culture. Just as we don't understand how slavery functioned in the first century, we likely don't understand the patriarchal society 
in which men ruled every facet of life, whether it be the home or the marketplace or the community. Women back in those days had no rights. They had few options. They had no voice in the community, pretty much none. And so let's understand, first of all, Peter is not condoning patriarchy, just as he is not condoning slavery. Peter is simply addressing Christian wives and husbands according to the way things are. And which, of course, was very messy indeed, especially for the wives. And so you probably understand, maybe, maybe the closest understanding is just think about a country in the Middle East, right? You've read enough articles about how women are treated very poorly, right? Can't vote, can't have an education. Well, that was the kind of culture that Peter is writing to. So the question is, how should wives back then in that culture who now have turned to Jesus, hallelujah, but how should they be a witness to their husbands? Isn't that a challenging question when you think about the culture? How do you be a witness in that world to your non-believing husbands? That's the question of the day. Then later, Peter will answer the same question with Christian husbands. How should now newly converted husbands who have turned to Christ, how do you treat your wives in that culture? So in the Greco-Roman world of the first century, if a wife were to become a Christian, it would produce probably immediate opposition. That's a good guess, okay? from what we understand about the Roman culture. According to a scholar named Karen Jobes, uh, she wrote a fantastic commentary on 1 Peter. Um, In the Greco-Roman world, culture, it was expected that the wife would have no friends of her own and that she would worship her husband's gods, right? So this is a Greco-Roman world. Uh, They had a belief in a multitude of gods. And this would cause several issues. And uh, I've, I've outlined that on the slide there. So number one, if a woman adopted any faith or religion other than her husband's, it would be seen as a violation of Greco-Roman worldly culture of an orderly home, right? So if you worship a God other than the God of your husbands, then that just kind of disrupts society as they would view it. And so because they had a deep um, kind of a faith in their gods and their idols, that was always tethered to one's prosperity, right? If you worship this God, it gives you a prosperity. And so now it was now seen as a threat if you worship a different God. So the prosperity of your family And also, the nation was at risk because you went off in a different direction. Number two, the husband and society would perceive the wife's worship of Jesus as rebellion. So if the wife persisted in her new faith in Jesus to the point others of the household and outside heard of it, it would be an embarrassment for the husband. And maybe he might suffer criticism by his peers in society in general. So it would put pressure on the husband, right? 
You don't want to be seen as married to a wife who now worships a different god. Thirdly, if the wife became a fel- uh, was, began fellowshipping with others in Christian worship, uh, this would give her opportunity to make friends, which was, right, a kind of a no-no. You only are friends with the husband's friends. And uh, so it would, again, bring great displeasure on him and bring him into public shame. So when you understand all these things, there's just a lot of pressure in this family now because of this, her new commitment to Jesus Christ. So having said all this, Peter doesn't give wives in this passage any specific instructions, such as you know, attending worship services, or even giving wives permission to worship and practice. Uh, you know, he's basically silent on that. The only instruction is about character, right? It's just simply about character. And it would seem that freedom is given for her to work out some of these practically, practical issues with her husband, um, but doing it in such a way as not to provoke him unnecessarily, right? So a wife's submission is, is not the expectation of others, and of all men, but simply given to her relationship with her husband. That is it. Wives are instructed, as all Christians were, to leave their former pagan lives. To leave her, actually in her case, leave her husband's old gods. So it's radical, right? But at the same time, remaining in the current marriage and relationship. So now you're probably getting a better picture of the tension that might have existed and the difficulty it was for these wives back in that day. So, now I think there was a surprise here, and most commentators observe this. It's actually surprising because wives were never directly addressed on any advice on marriage. Yet Peter does, and Paul does. Okay? So in that culture, any kind of writing, any kind of teaching was rarely given directly to women. Right? So education, all that, always for the man. But here in 1 Peter, all Christian teaching is given to the whole body of Christ. And now specifically dressed to the wives. Simply because all of God's people are given the dignity to learn from Jesus directly. Right? It's an elevation of complete worth. Remember, you are my special possessions. And I will speak to each of you because you are my children. So that's why I have that picture in the background there, but But that is why Jesus validated the actions of Mary. If you know that story of Mary and Martha, he validated the actions of Mary, who sat down at Jesus' feet to what? To learn, directly learn from the Master. She is worthy. And so when Martha complained that she was not helping with the food preparations, he took this opportunity to make this correction. No, no. She's in the right, right? She wants, you know, Martha wants to follow with the old rules, so to speak. But he says, no, Mary 
can sit and learn as a student and receive teaching from Christ. And so to Peter and the New Testament, women are independent moral beings whose faith in Christ is altogether different from her husband's pagan religion. And so she hears directly from Peter, which would have been an apostle. Apostle teaching is which is just beautiful and also completely counter to a male-dominated culture. So there's a lot of things happening kind of in the background that we, need, we may not be aware of because we just don't live in that kind of uh, culture at all. So the, uh, back to the question is, what, what is the wife supposed to do to be a witness to her husband? Well, Christian wives are, first of all, accountable to God and are to be submissive to their non-believing husbands. Now, although we're not told, maybe the Christian wife has already tried to express her newfound faith in Jesus with her husband. And maybe some of the husbands were a little bit open and maybe actually went to see what the fuss was all about. Okay? We don't know that, but I'm just thinking out loud here. Okay? And uh, every marriage is probably going to be different, right? In every relationship. Um, but the husband, we are told in this situation, has not accepted the word yet, has not accepted the truth of God's word, the gospel. Maybe the Christian wife might have been frustrated and maybe she's been criticized and maybe she's been mocked for her faith and beliefs in Christ, but Peter fully supports Christian wives and boldly encourages them to, to build this marriage, but do it in a proper way, to have a submissive spirit to their husbands for the goal of winning their husband to Jesus. So again, I repeat myself, but submission does not mean following your husband's gods or immorality, but to reject that in her own life. For she worships Jesus only, the one true living God. The fact that she has rejected her husband's religion might have maybe angered him or offended him. But... Instead of arguing, instead of badgering him, she must show restraint instead and be submissive to him even though he is not a believer. So submission doesn't mean that she is obligated to submit to his religion or his unrighteousness. Her first accountability is to God, not to her husband. In verse 6, Peter encourages them not to fear their husband, but to put their hope in God and continue to love and serve their husbands and maintain the spirit of submissiveness in order to display the gospel story. So it's not being a doormat. It is not being inferior to him. This is God's way to shine through in her life. In marriage, the wife and husband are actually bonded together sexually and emotionally, and so she is 
ought to be committed to that relationship even though he does not know Christ. But she is called by God to demonstrate the character of Jesus within that marriage. Now, let me read verses, the last part of verse 1 to verse 2 here. I don't have it on the screen. But Peter continues, If any of them do not believe the word, that's the husband, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of their lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. You know, isn't it interesting when sometimes we have it all backwards? When we want to change the wrong and poor behavior of someone we love, we often make the mistake of getting mad at them, right? Or guilting them, or yelling at them, or threatening them, right? You better change or else kind of perspective. So maybe the the wife is passionate about Jesus, and she really wants her husband to know Jesus. But so far... Whatever she has said in words, perhaps, isn't helping. Instead, Peter goes on a different direction by being a witness and speaks first about beauty that comes not from outward beauty like fancy hairstyles and expensive jewelry and clothing. Now, understand Peter's counsel is hardly new. This has been going on a long time. Proverbs 31.30 says this, Charm is deceptive. And beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So this is ingrained, right, in the understanding of women who follow God from a long time ago. In fact, it refers in this passage to Sarah, the wife of Abraham. And in Peter's day, a woman's importance and their value and their identity tended to be all wrapped up in their beauty and their charm and their jewelry. And so this was always a temptation and concern way back when. And, you know, today, I guess you could say, you know, what it looks like today is maybe the cover of some fashion, I don't know, magazine. But Peter turns this inside and out and says, what really matters is not emulating the person on the front of a fancy ladies magazine or whatever what really matters is your inner character that's what really matters what peter calls the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is of great worth in god's sight so god looks on what the inside not the outside is given also to men right we have to look at what is inside. So what might truly influence non-believing husbands for Christ isn't one's external attractiveness. What will impress non-believing husbands about their wives is their inner character, Peter says. They aren't badgering their husbands to consider Jesus. 
they already know that the words aren't working so well. We're going to try something else. We're going to try inner beauty. They must clothe themselves with Christ to demonstrate gentleness and quietness. Well, actually, Peter's been talking about this for everyone, right? Do good things to your pagan neighbors so that one day they might glorify God, right? So Peter's being completely consistent here. And he's giving us, wise in particular, room for the Holy Spirit to minister to your husbands. Now, this isn't a marriage story, but it is the same lesson. A long time ago, I remember my grandmother on my dad's side. She was a dear, sincere Christian. And one of her daughters, my aunt, uh, did not follow Jesus. In fact, she was quite rebellious. And my grandmother um, sincerely wanted her daughter to come to Jesus. In fact, she was desperate. Okay? So one day when I was just a young boy, we were visiting Grandma, and we were sitting at Grandmother's dining room table. I believe it was breakfast. I believe it was before church Sunday morning. And suddenly, I see my grandmother. She's running through the kitchen. She's chasing her daughter, right? Pleading for her to go to church. This is all in Japanese, you know? And uh, gathering at her, probably, you know, you need to go to church. You need to believe in Jesus. And what was my aunt doing? She was making a beeline for her bedroom. She would have nothing of being chased down and yelled at and screamed at by her mother. Okay, do you, do you get the picture? Okay. So, apparently words aren't working. Apparently chasing your daughter down to her bedroom to force her to go to church is not working. Right? Well, it doesn't work. Right? So, maybe it's something like that. I don't know. But, I mean, the whole scene for us when I was a boy was almost comical to me. I mean, my little grandma's about four foot eight or something like that, chasing her daughter down. But there is a wiser way to be a witness. It is not to turn up the volume or turn to aggressive persuasion or theological guilting. The husband is already suspicious of this Jesus, okay? He is already afraid, and he is already defensive. The way of Jesus in many of these situations is through gentleness and quietness. Following the voice of the Spirit, knowing when and when not to use words. I think the counsel here is incredible. It's wise. It's discerning. So, let's talk about husbands now. Verse 7. Husbands, in the same way, be considered as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner 
as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So Peter begins by saying, husbands in the same way. So he's been, he's been trending on the same topic, about a spirit of uh, submission. And, uh, but for husbands, he changes the word slightly. He can, it, you know, it contains the spirit of submission. But for husbands, he says, husbands, be considerate toward your wives and treat them with respect. Uh, Peter assumes that God's husbands are given a role by God to be a loving servant, a loving leader within that home. And unlike Greco-Roman culture, where husbands treated their wives like objects, he must be radically different. He must be considerate and respectful. She is an equal partner in their marriage. They are one. And so now his responsibility is to consider the needs of his wife. He must have the humility to listen to her needs and listen to her wisdom. Husbands are not to look down on their wives to be demanding and selfish. In fact, they must build her up, not tear her down. Uh, Ephesians 5, um, husbands are counseled to love their wives in the same way that Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her. Did you hear that, husbands? That's quite the verse. Love her in the same way that Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her. That sounds like sacrificial love to me. And it's profound. This is speaking about an unselfish love that benefits your spouse. I mean, think about how radically different Christian husbands were called to be under Christ compared to their their Greco-Roman culture. Doesn't it just turn everything upside down? It's just radical. Radical, radical instruction here for husbands. Now, we're given three reasons for being considerate and respectful. Number one, because she is the weaker partner. Uh, Peter has in mind physical weakness, not spiritual weakness. It is a common understanding that women are generally not as physically strong as men. Uh, This doesn't make her inferior, just different from men in a physical sense. Most importantly, don't forget, she is your partner. As you live with your wife, Peter says, don't allow your larger stature to intimidate or manipulate. Be considerate and respectful. Be gentle and polite. Secondly, she is your fellow heir with the gracious gift of life. Your wife, first and foremost, is a child of God, just like you. She's received the same blessings of God's grace, his forgiveness, personal relationship with God, special possession of God, even, yes, a holy priest. She is a fellow Christian, and she must be loved and adored. 
And thirdly, be considerate so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Isn't that an interesting piece of advice at the end here? You know, I think Peter is suggesting something here. If we are selfish, if we are being insensitive toward our wives, we are not being pleasing to God. In fact, it has a negative impact on your walk with God, Peter seems to suggest. And that is why your own prayers, your own prayers with God, your own relationship is being negatively impacted. The aim for any marriage is the delightful day when the husband and wife can come together in delightful prayer to the Lord. That's, of course, the ultimate ideal. One spouse may not be a Christian yet, but that's the ideal, right? We're praying toward that end. Peter's giving us the tools to get to that end. If we dominate our wives, it has a negative consequent on your walk with God. So watch out, husbands. Your own relationship with God will be negatively impacted depending on the relationship you have with your wife. Rather, the husband and wife can now come together in love and respect and jointly worship together in their church and pray together in peace and without resentment. That's the true delight if they can come together under Christ. And so husbands are instructed, treat your wife with respect. If you want an open and intimate walk with Jesus Christ, then love your wife. So the horizontal and the vertical relationships need to come together. Respect her and honor her just as Jesus loves her. Well, um, let, me, let me just end with the story. Uh, one day, um, when I was a pastor in Medicine Hat, I, I went to go visit an elderly couple, and uh, he was influential in my dad's life, and uh, when he became a minister himself. And so even though I didn't really know them personally, out of respect for what he'd done in my dad's life, I went to go visit them because they lived in Medicine Hat where I was serving. And uh, uh, he, he is a retired pastor and his wife, and they were along in years, and so they could not even really get out of the house too easily, housebound. And so I went to their home, and he brought me to a room where his wife was. And she lay in the bed motionless. Um, I'm not sure if she was really aware of my presence. And unable to get up, obviously, she slept most of the time. And, you know, in the latter stages of her life. But he chose to care for her. But what impressed me about this husband is simply the way that he talked to her and treated her. Um, he touched her in this tender, tender way. And he spoke to her directly and personally, you know, this is, this is Dan. Whether she heard or not, we don't know, right? 
and he's come to visit us. And just the gentleness in which he spoke just was incredible to me. She was totally dependent on her husband to feed her and to clothe her and to bathe her. And many husbands would resent a situation like this and only think about their own needs. I'm quite certain in the Greco-Roman culture, I'm not sure if this would have happened so much. But not this man. He chose to stay with her and live with her and love her until the day that she died. And so, for me, that visit became... For me, the picture of a beautiful marriage, a picture of love and sacrifice, a picture of tenderness and gentleness and respect, and I'm sure if she was doing all right, she'd probably be sharing the same type of attributes back to her husband. It was just the kind of couple that I met that day that so impressed me. But what Peter is saying is, don't forget who you are. You are God's special possessions to be my lights in this world. Your marriage ought to be a light for Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. And even in these unfortunate um, Negative situations, whether you're a slave or your husband is a cranky non-believer, Peter's saying, live Jesus' way. He did it with gentleness. He did it with kindness. He did it with forgiveness. He did it with sacrificial love. Do it Jesus' way. And we can only help hope and pray that, that when words are not enough, that God would use our kind actions and our behavior and our own spirit so that the Holy Spirit can use those things to bring glory to him. And we hope and pray that our friends, our spouses, will someday know Jesus. Let's pray, and uh, at the same time, we're going to just pray and go uh, directly to communion. So let's just have a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, these are profound words, and we acknowledge that we need your Holy Spirit. We need the power of God to become the kind of godly husbands and wise that you've called us to to be. And so, Lord, may we have the spirit of a desire to learn from you and humble ourselves before you to become better spouses for our spouse in a way that the light of Jesus shines through. And so help us, dear Lord, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So as we turn to the communion table here,